we want to welcome all of you to our services this morning. If you're a guest of ours, please take a care card. They're located there in the pew rack just in front of you. And fill in your name and information. We would love to have a record of you being here. Uh, as you leave today, you can place those in one of the boxes on the round table in the foyer. Um, also on the back of the care card for everybody is a place for you to fill in any prayer needs that you have. We as a staff want to be praying for you. So take a moment to do that, do that. And you can also place those in the boxes as you leave this morning. A couple of things to remind you about uh, tonight. We do have a movie night at 5 o'clock down in the core. We'll have snacks. A lot of times our kids that come, they, we've got a space up at the front. They'll bring a sleeping bag and just camp out up front to watch the movie or a bag chair. Uh, you do what you feel comfortable. We do have chairs down there, but if you want to bring a bag chair, you're welcome to do that. And then don't forget about bringing back your filled backpacks tonight. We handed those out last week. Thank you for coming by and getting all of those. And I already see this morning some of those are being returned. So thank you so much for uh, doing the shopping for that. I know, uh, especially with our uh, climate and our economy, those are going to be a huge blessing to families. But if you could bring those back tonight, if you did not get a backpack, you say, Kevin, I'd still like to help. We contacted one of the principals that we work with. And uh, Chris Smith told us that reams of paper, uh, copy paper, can, would help out tremendously. So if you'd like to bring one of those in tonight with you, you're welcome to do that. And we'll make sure they get into the right hands. But thank you so much for always being generous to help uh, with the needs in our community. We'll make sure those get to the school. We do have a new ministry starting on August the 23rd called Grief Share. Uh, that's a Tuesday. It begins at 930 in the morning. Uh, it is a $20 class that covers the workbook. And Linda Bounds and my mom, Joyce Seeger, will be leading that. They'll be in the foyer uh, to my right as you go out. Uh, at the table there if you have questions and in just a moment we're going to have an additional announcement by way of video men don't forget about our be strong men's conference that's coming up uh, at snowbird on september 16th through the 18th we're down to 11 spots for that so if you're interested uh, please get us your 50 dollars deposit you can give that to me we have an august 28th deadline the total cost of the trip is 150 dollars, and it's for those that are 16 and up if you're under 18 uh, we ask that you do please come with dad but that's always a great time. We, I was telling somebody the other day, we shoot guns, eat meat, praise Jesus. That's a men's weekend. So come and be a part of that. Thank you, Chris. We'll have a great time. You come and be a part of that. Uh, we do want to go this time to the Lord in prayer. And so let's go and just ask God uh, to be with us in this service in a special way today. Can we do that? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we can quiet our hearts before you and God just speak to you and the scripture says that you hear us. You hear our prayers. And God, we thank you for that. I know that there are people in this room represented who are going through some struggles right now, whether it's personal or a family issue. It could be an issue at work. Uh, God, we just pray that you would give us wisdom. But God, I also pray that you'd be able to let us set some of those things aside this morning and focus in on what maybe your Holy Spirit would want to say to us today. God, we thank you uh, that you have brought all of our mission teams home from Alaska, the last one coming in yesterday. And we look forward to hearing what has been going on uh, this summer through missions. God, thank you for our church and those willing to go and those willing to support as we take the gospel uh, all over this nation, really around the world, God. We thank you for a church that has a uh, vision for missions. God, we do pray that you'd be with Pastor today. We know that you've given him a message that he has studied. And God, we pray that you would speak through his lips, through his mouth, God, and challenge our hearts today. 
God, you know the needs of our church. We pray that you would just give us wisdom as we uh, try to do the things that you have us to do as a church, God. Thank you for this time. Let us worship you, and we pray that you'd be pleased with it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said. I was angry at God for letting this happen. My me-focused life was shattered. I was afraid I was going crazy. Exhausted from trying to hold it all in and act like I was okay. I felt completely lost. Resentful that life was going on like normal for everyone else. I was lonely, scared of my new normal. I had an intense longing for things as they used to be. Was this pain ever going to go away? I lost my husband suddenly, and we had three young children. I lost four family members in six weeks. A miscarriage halfway through my pregnancy. Several friends in high school, and more recently, my father to heart failure. And I got the phone call that my mom had taken her life. And I just um, will never forget that moment um, in time. Everything just froze. I really felt like things were in control and I had a good handle on everything. I quickly learned that I wasn't in control of anything. My head was in a fog. I didn't know where I was. It was so completely opposite of everything that I knew and trusted and loved about God. I couldn't find that hope. I didn't feel that closeness with the Lord. Why have you chosen to take my brother who loved you so much. When I started the grief recovery program, I really didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be the girl who needed to go to something like this, and I didn't want to share my pain and cry in front of others. It had been 13 years at that point uh, since I had lost my mom, and I felt like I was going to walk into a room, and there were going to be people there who had a really fresh loss, and I would be taking something away by walking in with my old loss. When I got there, though, I was made to feel so at ease that I could express myself and get it off my chest. That what I experienced was common with other people. And man, that was freeing. It was so freeing to find out that I wasn't just crazy. I could put that burden down for a while. I could be honest, maybe let a little of the crazy out. <laughs> the freedom to, to forgive my parents for, for not being around. As, as, as silly as that sounds. I used to think that time would heal wounds. And time doesn't heal wounds. Grief never really goes away, but it can be turned into something different, and that something different can be hope. Because now I have tools to work through it and to go to the Lord immediately and lean on Him. Lamentations 3.32 says that though He brings grief, He will also show compassion. And yeah, I was, I was grieving and it wasn't fun, but at the same time, he was there and he was sitting with me in my pain and he had community around me. Feelings of loss that bring us together and help us to support each other in ways that bring us outside of our situations to a greater understanding of the bigger picture of what God's trying to do. Jesus tells us there's gonna be many troubles in this world, but to take heart, I have overcome the world. I can take the next step. I can do the next thing. I was relying on myself, the power of one, instead of relying on the power of the one, that I could find true recovery. Through grief recovery, I've found that it's not so much about death, but it's about life.
Amen. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Whew. Thank you. Give me a moment. <laughs> Would you stand with me as we sing this great hymn together, expressing the hope that we have in Christ through his amazing grace. Sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world.
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never singing this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would please, 
to Mark chapter 4. I wish this were a uh, portion of scripture we would have had time last week to include with uh, last week's message. It ties in uh, so very much with that portion. By the way, last week's message, uh, what we covered there, I can't think of a more important topic to cover in a message. If you were not here, did not get to hear that message, uh, along with this message, I would ask you to go online and listen to the one from last week, and I think you'll see why I'm saying that, tying it in with today. And today I want to talk about the subject matter, kingdom growth, slow but sure. Kingdom growth, slow but sure. So I'd ask you to find Mark chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 21. We'll read down through verse 34. Now while you find your place in your copy of God's Word, let me say at the end of the message today, don't let me forget to make an announcement to you. You know sometimes at the end of a sermon a preacher doesn't even know his own name. Uh, so at the end I want to give a brief but very important uh, update from the land steering committee uh, they'll have more to say at a later date but they did ask that I would give a brief update today just on the status of of everything would you stand for the reading of God's Word please mark chapter 4 beginning there in verse 21 and he said to them, that is Jesus, Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Father this is your word. Your Holy Spirit has inspired it. And now I would ask that your Holy Spirit would 
illumine our minds, give us understanding. And in the words of Jesus himself, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. William Carey lived from 1761 to 1834. Now, William Carey is a very important figure even in the church today because, you see, he is considered to be the father of the modern missionary movement. We know that William Carey labored diligently in India for seven years before he saw even his very first convert. Now folks, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about being a missionary on foreign soil and preaching and teaching the word and engaged in evangelism and yet you go seven years before you even have your first convert. But he continued to share the gospel faithfully his entire life. And yet, still, he saw very little difference that he made at the time. Yet the theme of his life was attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Now today, there are some 70, 80, maybe 90 million Christians in India. Likewise, Adoniram Judson, who lived from 1788 to 1850, is the father of American Baptist missions. He too labored in Burma for seven years. Likewise, before seeing anybody come to faith in Christ, he buried two wives, he buried a number of children. And he died somewhat disappointed that his labors seemed to not make very much visible difference at the time. And yet, just like William Carey, he was faithful to the end and he voiced these words. He said, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain, we reap on Zion's hill." And today, the Christian population in Burma is estimated to be around 9% of the entire country's population. Folks, we all know that at times, Christian labor and Christian missionary work can be very frustrating. I think of the Apostle Paul at Corinth. He told the Corinthians, he said, you're carnal, you're divided. Some of you say, I'm of Paul, others I'm of Cephas, uh, others I'm of Apollos, and still others I'm of Christ. Paul goes on to essentially say to them, you're divided over non-essential issues and there's infighting and there's gossip and selfishness among you. Does this not show that you're carnal and I can't speak to you as mature men and women in the faith? Perhaps you've diligently labored in a Sunday school class. 
You've prepared the lesson faithfully. You've prayed over it. You delivered the lesson and nothing seems to change. Maybe you work here in this church with children, with youth, with college, in addition to adults. And you don't see things happening very quickly in your area. And there may be times that you're greatly frustrated. Some of you, and I know this to be true because you've spoken to me about it, you witness faithfully to family members for months and even years. You sow the seed and to this current day you have still not seen a harvest. Folks, the Bible warns us that it will be this way at times. We've got to remember what the Apostle Paul experienced after preaching the gospel on his first missionary trip. He was even uh, stoned to death and left for dead out of town. He got up and he went back in and he finished preaching. So amidst frustration, amidst seeing things slowly happen at times, are we to give up? Are we to consider that it's just not worth it? Of course not. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We're told, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In this section of Mark 4, Jesus is telling a series of parables that has very much to do with this. These verses we've read this morning ought to be a huge encouragement to anybody engaged in Christian labor. It shows us that it's always too soon to give up. Never, ever, ever give up. We may not see instant fruit. But we shouldn't be deceived into thinking that our efforts are in vain. The first thing I want you to see with me this morning from verses 21 to 25 is the point that a lamp is made to shine. Do you ever click on a lamp at home? You have a lamp up on a table maybe or up on a counter. Do you ever click on that lamp at home and then as soon as you've turned the lamp on, you place a trash can over it or a large basket over it? Do you do that? Of course not. How foolish that would be. The reason you turn on a lamp is because you want light in the room. You want to light up the room. The gospel is made for the purpose of shining light, of giving the light of the good news of of Jesus Christ. And folks, there's something very interesting that we see here in our text. In the Greek text, the definite article is present. And so it is the lamp that is not brought to be put under a basket. Interpreters pick up on this and they insist that this is a reference to Jesus. He's the one who is the lamp. Of course, we are lights reflecting his light, but he's the lamp who has come. You see, in the Old Testament, a lamp is a frequent metaphor for God. And furthermore, in the text here, instead of a light or a lamp being brought in, 
as our English version stated in verse 21, it's literally that the lamp itself is acting. The lamp is coming. It's not being brought. The lamp is coming. More suitable of a person than an object. And so again, what's my point? Jesus is the lamp. He's the light of the world. Jesus didn't leave the ivory palaces of heaven and come to a world of woe simply to be hidden. John 1.5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overpower it. John's speaking there of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness. The lamp shines in the darkness. Uh, John goes on to say of, of John the Baptist. The apostle John says of John the Baptist. He was not the light. He was not the lamp. But he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Folks, Jesus is the true light. And in his incarnation, he's come. At present, as verse 22 states, there is much about the kingdom of God and much about Jesus that is still hidden. It's still not immediately visible. But this will change. James Edwards, in his commentary on Mark, writes, Yet even the concealment... Of the present hour reflecting back to verses 11 and 12 contains the seeds of what will be revealed. If the beginnings of the kingdom look inauspicious and unpromising, that serves God's purposes. The very humanness of Jesus governs the glory of God from overwhelming and blinding the world and invites people to discover the kingdom by experience. The rather baffling activity of God in Jesus is like hide and seek. Only that which is first hidden can be found. Jesus is hidden in order to be manifested. Concealment intends disclosure. The kingdom of God and the parables that witness it are like a piece of embroidery. One side is a mass of knots and tangles while the other is a finished pattern. For now the world tries to darken the light. I think of the religious leaders in the gospel. They took every opportunity they had to oppose Jesus. They were jealous because the multitudes were following Jesus. And Jesus was claiming to be God. And so they were opposed to Jesus. And they were trying to do everything in their power, everything in their strength, that they could snuff out the light. They were trying to silence the Lord. And they even began uh, to try to kill him, which they eventually did. Paul writes in Romans 1.18 that men try to suppress the truth of God. And as a result, God turns them over in his wrath. He says that what can be known about God is plain because God's revealed it, leaving men and women without excuse. And so God gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He gives them up to degrading passions. He gives them up to debased minds. In other words, men may try to snuff out and suppress the light of Jesus, but in so doing, men themselves end up in darkness. The light 
of God, the Lord Jesus, will not be overpowered. He will not be overcome just as John 1, 5 states. Amen? Can I get a witness? His light will not be snuffed out. Light is meant to shine. It shines in the darkness. Jesus has come and what's he doing? He's shining in the gospel. He's shining in the darkness. More and more we're seeing him for who he really is, the Messiah. More and more, as you read the pages of the Gospels, they were coming to understand his identity. And more and more were stepping out of darkness and they were stepping into his marvelous light. Verse 23, Jesus says once again, as he did in in verse 9 of chapter 4 that we looked at last week. He said, listen up. You need to listen up. You need to hear. He who has ears to hear, listen up. Why does he keep saying that? Because not everybody has ears to hear. Hearing the word, hearing the gospel, you need to really hear. You need to listen up. It's amazing how many times we're told this. In Revelation 2 and 3 at the end of the admonitions to each of the churches, Jesus said there, He who has ears to hear, let him listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We need to have ears to the things of God. Remember the parable of the soils we looked at last week? The call was to examine what type of soil we are. Have we really heard the gospel? And have we made an appropriate response? We need to examine how we hear. Are we true disciples? Because not everyone who hears is really listening and responding. And Jesus goes on in verses 24 to 25 to explain why. He he says here, uh, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here we see the principle, you can't outgive God in anything. And God will bless faithfulness if you listen and respond to what God teaches you. And what God gives you, what's God going to do? He's going to give you more. And this applies to so many things in the Christian life. If you sit before the Lord's word and you listen, he blesses you with understanding. And then you respond to that and he blesses you with still more understanding. You go out into the world, you shine the light, you love people, you pray for them. And you see some respond and more and more may respond. God's going to use you but if you hide the message if you hide your gifts and you never invest yourself in what God is about you're very uninterested in what God has taught you it's like even what you've learned dries up inside of you and God takes away even what you have The same God who in his grace allows you to hear and see in his wrath takes away what he gives you if you don't hear and see. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Folks, I think these verses 
show the awesome responsibility with what we do with whatever God has given to us. If we yield it to God and use it to God's glory, God uses us more and more. But if you just sit on God's blessings and sit and soak, then something negative happens. It's a huge responsibility to know what we know about the gospel. Just like I told you last week what Dr. Adrian Rogers, Mr. Southern Baptist, said on one occasion. There ought to be a warning sign in every church lobby warning church attendance may be hazardous to your health. And what he meant by that is you're going to be held accountable for what you hear. We are to come to the light. We are to come to Jesus who is the light. And then we are to shine the light in our own lives. He did not send us out into the world for the message to be concealed. There's so many today who are hiding the message. But his commission to us is that we would be ambassadors for Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we try to persuade men. In that chapter he goes on to talk about how we are ambassadors for Christ. And he has committed to us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. He said, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then in chapter 6 he says, behold, now is the time of salvation today is the day of salvation those who have come to the light are to be responsible to the light that the one who is the lamp of God has given to you that light is to grow in you you're to reflect his light go out into the world and be ambassadors for Christ Again, lights are intended to shine. What are you doing with the message? Are you shining it or are you concealing it? Jesus is shining his light. He can do no other. What are you and I doing with his light? Second thing I want you to see here, God is sovereign over the harvest. Look at verses 26 to 29. And he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus compares the spiritual harvest to what a farmer does. And as we think about a farmer, there is both certainty and mystery to what he does. There's both mystery and certainty. Being a farmer, he knows one thing. He knows something for certain. In order to have a harvest, he's got to sow the seed. If he doesn't sow the seed, there's not going to be a harvest. And so he sows the seed. And by sowing the seed, again, there's the certainty of some kind of harvest. 
Now he knows that every single seed will not become a part of the productive crop, but he knows some will. There's uncertainty. Again, both. Certainty and uncertainty. But what's he do every spring? He sows. And then the mystery takes place. In the providence of God and in the kindness of God, the seed sprouts. It grows. And then up comes the plant and then the bud and then the fruit. There's a quiet mystery to how all of this happens. But it happens nonetheless. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow, patient process. The farmer does his work. He goes to bed at night. He sleeps. He eats. He wakes up. He eats. He tends some of his other business. And all along, unknown to him exactly what's going on, there's something taking place underneath the soil. Wonderful things are happening. It's a miracle of life that is happening. This past spring when I was planting our garden and the grandkids were with us, the oldest, uh, Sutton, who's four years old, he wanted to help Paul plant the garden. But all he seemed to be interested in were the watermelons. And I said, we'll get around to the watermelons in a minute. He, he helped me plant everything and we got the watermelon seed in the ground and the next morning he woke up, he was so excited, Paul, do we have watermelons yet? What's being described here in these verses is the miracle of life that God has put into the seed. This is the gift of God. It's a reminder to us of what God did at creation there in Genesis 1. That everything was created with seed in it according to its kind. Pretty soon the harvest ripens and the farmer is able to put his sickle in and he enjoys the harvest. Again, Jesus says that's how it is with spiritual things. God has commissioned you and me to be farmers. We sow the seed, which is the word of God. We sow, we pray, we wait. We don't bring about spiritual life. God does. We don't bring it about any more than we walk out to our garden and we make the watermelon seed suddenly produce watermelons. It's a miracle of growth that only God does. Nicodemus was told by Jesus the new birth is a birth from above, from the Spirit. But we have a part to play. We sow the seed. And in the providences of God, God uses the seed sown in a man's heart. And over time that man listens. He hears. The Spirit of God is doing the greatest miracle of all on that man's heart. And one day that man or that woman gets down on their knees, understanding their sin. They repent of their sin. They turn their lives over to Jesus. And that man or woman is born again. Their life is made new. Who did that? God did that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, it's not a result of works. It's not a result of what you and I do. If it were, we could boast about it. But it is all of God. God does it. So all we're able to do is stand back and give God glory. Amen? God does it. 
You and I can't explain this whole process. I cannot even begin to tell you how or why. I heard and I heard and I heard. But one day when I was 19 years old, God made me to really hear. I can't tell you exactly how he did it. I can just tell you he did it. We know it's real because we've experienced it ourselves. We become a new creation in Christ. New passions, new desires. There's spiritual life where before there was only death. Oh, we know the basics. We know about sowing the seed and praying and waiting, but there's a mystery to it all. It's got to be God who brings it to pass. It's just like I've told you in the past about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the most famous Baptist preacher of all times. He was a teenager. He was 15 years old and he was under conviction. He got up one snowy Sunday morning in London and he knew he had to get to church. He was headed to one church in particular, but he had to turn into another church due to the severity of the storm. He arrived at a little primitive Methodist chapel that was open. And there were just a few people there. He said maybe 15, perhaps 20. And the preacher didn't even show up because of the storm. A layman preached and Spurgeon said the layman did a terrible job. He had a text out of Isaiah, Look ye to the Lord, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Spurgeon said in about ten minutes, he had spun out everything he had to say. And so he just started repeating his text. Old man look, young man look, women look, children look. All of you look unto the Lord. Spurgeon said he looked over at me. He fastened his eyes upon me and said, Young man, I perceive you to be most miserable. Look ye to the Lord and be saved. Young man, look, look, look. And Spurgeon said in that instant, I looked. And God did in my life what only God can do. I was gloriously saved in that moment. Can you explain all that? No. There's mystery. And if you're in Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You understand that. I heard and I heard and I heard. I'd been in church all my life, but one day on a college campus nearby, sitting in my car reading the scripture, God moved upon my life. I heard and and I saw and God saved me and God called. Again, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus said, The wind blows where it will. We don't know where it comes from, and we don't know where it's going. We don't know who's going to respond, and we don't know who's not going to respond. But we just keep sowing, we keep praying, we keep waiting. Because we know something's going to happen. Because Isaiah 55, the Lord promises that his word will not return unto him void. But it will accomplish that which he purposes. There's mystery to it all. It's God's work. God uses you, he uses me, but it's God's work. And you know what the amazing thing is and what the thrilling thing is, is to stand back and see God at work, God working through what we do. 
Every disciple of Jesus needs to rest assured that God is Lord over the harvest. And God neither slumbers nor sleeps. We might get frustrated at times. Things may not happen on your timetable or my timetable. But nonetheless, things happen. Wonderful things happen. And so I would say to you, don't ever grow weary of the Lord's work. One of these days, the end's going to come. As Jesus said here in verse 29, he's going to put in his sickle and he's going to reap the harvest and gather the harvest into his barn. The harvest has come. As the old hymn says, we shall go rejoicing bringing in the sheaves. And so I would say to you this morning, keep sowing, keep waiting, keep praying. And the third thing I want you to see, God's kingdom keeps on growing. Look at verse 30 and following. He said, what can we compare the, the kingdom of God to? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Here, here the emphasis is on the contrast between what is sown and what results. What's sown? The mustard seed is sown. And it's the smallest of all herbal seeds. It was well known in Israel. The mustard seed is basically like a little tiny dark speck of sand. And yet the mustard seed becomes the largest herbal plant of them all. Somehow that's how the work of the gospel goes forth. The beginning might seem small, but wow, what God ends up doing is amazing. God may start with you in a home Bible study and you start seeing people get converted. Many churches have started that way. This church started that way in a home Bible study right down the road and a church has grown out of that. Think about it. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were saved. You read through the book of Acts and there'd be another thousand added here or there. And then the gospel went to the Gentiles. A lonely rabbi was converted to Jesus on the road to Damascus. And through that man's life, the life of the apostle Paul, he carried the gospel to the Gentile world. Here's a service going on years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a man by the name of Mordecai Ham is preaching a tent revival night after night in Charlotte. And a young boy who grew up on a farm here in Charlotte goes night after night after night. God's working on him. He finishes his chores on the farm. He goes to the service again night after night after night. And one night here in Mordecai Ham preached the gospel. This young man responds to that message and he's gloriously saved. What was his name? Billy Graham. And look at what God did with Billy Graham taking the gospel around the globe. Small beginnings. Like a little mustard seed. It grows up into something big. Who could have seen this happening? But it did.
from small beginnings, those 12 disciples, and one of them was a devil who rejected Jesus. And so from the 11 and then the 12th that was replaced Judas. Look at the church today. You get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 7, what does John see? John sees believers from every tribe and people and nation gathered around the throne praising Jesus. Small beginnings. But God does amazing things. Now, some interpreters take verse 32 here with the birds to say that birds sometimes picture Satan. And so they would say the church becomes so big, so institutionalized, that even heretics hide out under the branches of the church. Now, that's true, but folks, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. His simple point is... In contrast to the small seed and the size of that seed, look at the harvest that results. Something small grows into something big. And all everybody can do is stand back and praise God. My okra seed that my grandson and I planted, I've never... Okra seed, tiny. I've never seen okra plants eight feet tall. Mine are eight feet tall. If you don't believe me, you come around to my house and see it. Eight feet tall. And I, I declare, I think I need to harvest it twice a day. Unbelievable from small seeds. That's how God grows his kingdom. And so again, you work in VBS, kids get saved. You never know who they'll reach. You go to Snowbird, youth get saved. You come here, maybe you get saved. Who knows? The mystery of it all. Who knows what God is going to do to the boys and girls and young men and women that we see come to faith in Jesus Christ. But it happens. And God does it. And he allows you and me to be a part through sowing the seed and praying and waiting. You can't plan it all out. You can't orchestrate it. All you and I can do is cast out the seed and God does it. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. I want you to bow with me in prayer. And as you do, just every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to talk to you just a moment, okay? Let me just talk to you a few minutes. Everybody still. Are you listening? Are you really listening? Maybe you need to pray this morning, oh God, give me ears to hear. Unstop my ears and remove the veil from my eyes. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the lamp. If you're walking in darkness, come to him today. Come to Christ. You know, his followers are likewise to reflect his light in a dark world. 
The gospel is meant to be shared. It's not meant to be concealed. Are you concealing the message? Maybe you're a believer who's wandered so far away from the light and your life is so stained with sin, people can't see the light of Christ that you're supposed to be reflecting. You need to do business with God. You need to ask Him for His grace and power to repent of your sin, to have a fresh start and a clean life, a life where people see Jesus in you. I want you to know God will bless faithfulness. He will bless obedient followers with more truth. You can't outgive God. You need to be faithful with what God has already allowed you to see, with what He's already allowed you to hear. But I want you to be warned also, if you're not faithful, there may come a day He'll take away even what He's given to you. Know that God is sovereign over the harvest. The gospel enterprise is God's business. And we can be confident He's going to see it through to the end. Big things from small beginnings. So, folks, be encouraged, be faithful. Even when your Christian service seems to be accomplishing very little, I want you to understand it is always too soon to quit. Never give up. Father, thank you for these beautiful parables that illustrate all of this. What you do with the seed of the gospel. Lord, it's your work. It's a work of your spirit as he draws men and women to Christ and converts their soul and then does wonderful things through them to reach others. It's amazing. And we get to be a part of your work. God, help us to do so with gratitude and faithfulness. I pray for the one who is discouraged today. Lord, encourage them. Just like William Carey, just like Adoniram Judson, they may not be seeing what's going on. Maybe only eternity will tell what's being accomplished. So God, encourage that one this morning who's discouraged. Strengthen them in the work that you've given them to do. And God, I do pray for that one this morning who needs to come to the lamp. They need to come to Jesus. They're walking in darkness. Lord, draw them to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.